0: My wife and I, we met here at Southern Matrimony College. I uh, was taking theology and she was studying nursing. For most of you who know, that's the ideal match. But really the most ideal was, is that uh, when I met her, I asked her if she liked to cook. Because I like to eat, right? (laughs) That's a good match. And it's been working for 16 years. We've been happily married. And uh, so the Lord has been good. I can't complain. In fact, he treats me much better than I deserve. I have a bride that I don't deserve and uh, much more. Um, Mission work. After I graduated from uh, Southern, we took an opportunity to work with a ministry, Gospel Ministries International, and David, he asked me to fly airplanes in Bolivia. So we started flying airplanes in Bolivia. We were there for about Oh, I, I always like to stretch it. The longer I've been in the field, I like to say 12, 13 years. My wife always corrects me. Eight years, I think. Good. See, I got the right number. Eight years, and, uh, and we've been in Belize uh, seven, almost eight, in Belize. And uh, so what we do in Belize is we have a volunteer training center called MOVE. MOVE, that's easy to remember. Missionary Outreach and Volunteer Evangelism. And it has two three-month sessions a year. And it's kind of unique in the sense that uh, we teach um, not only evangelism, but we also teach practical trade skills. So I, I teach mechanics there and I teach the uh, evangelism class. And then we have construction, agriculture, health work, and education. Those are the electives that uh, the young people take there and then they go serve somewhere around the world for six months. It, so. For three months out of the year I teach and for the other three months of the year I do just about everything else. And, uh, and so I want to share with you some of those experiences. Um, how did I get started? I made with a deal with God, well I guess 15 years ago, that I would work for him if he would take care of my family. Now I don't know about you, how would you like to have God as your boss? Would you like that? Yeah, I, I would like that. I thought it would be a pretty neat idea. And I told him I would do whatever he wanted me to do. So I, there was no job description. I said, whatever needs to be done, I'll do it. Uh, and I said, so if it's preach, I'm happy to preach. If it's fly, I'm happy to fly. If it's, well, if it's do mechanics or construction. And, uh, and so I got to Bolivia and there was no airplane and then uh, there, was, there was this school in the middle of the jungle and the director had left and there was no one to direct the school and they asked me to direct the school. Now when I you know, submitted my job application with the Lord, I did not think that teaching would be on the types of things that I would be asked to do because I didn't like school very well. In fact, if you were to ask me my favorite subject, it would be, what's your favorite subject? What's your favorite subject? History. Yeah. Well, you know what mine was? My kids already know it. It was recess. I liked recess. Yeah. Your recess, that was a good subject for me. The problem was I never got to go. I was always in trouble writing sentences. Will not shoot spit wads in the classroom. You know, I could write sentences with four pencils at a time. The other day I was putting a drop ceiling in the school uh, school in Belize, and the and the principal said, "Man, the, the drop ceiling was great, but you wouldn't believe it. Kids were throwing their pencils and sticking them into the ceiling. I can't believe they would do that." And I thought, <laughs> I did that when I was a kid. Done that many a time. <laughs> Luckily, I don't have a drop ceiling in my house where my kids do homeschool, so they can't stick pencils in it. Uh, so I directed this high school for a number of years, and you know, I thought I would never. <sighs> It was a real, like, mm, man, God, you got the wrong guy. But I actually turned out that I really enjoyed it. And, uh, and I realized when I went as a missionary, I couldn't wait to get out of school. I was done with school. And then when I went as a missionary, I realized I was going to a different school. God's school. And uh, I realized that I had a whole lot of things to learn. You know, I, I was talking with a customs broker just a, a month or two ago. Joe Lopez, you know, he was telling me, he's like, Jeff, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a great, you know, I I mean, I don't, I don't need to go to church. I mean, I do nice things for people, and I remember I used to on Sunday mornings, I make sandwiches for the kids, and they'd come over a juice, and I'd give them to them. And I said, you know, Joe, I, I used to think the same thing until I became a missionary. He looked at me. He's like, yeah, when I became a missionary, I figured out that I was a, a jerk. He's like, what? I figured out I was selfish. He, he said, yeah, oh, I said, it was, it was kind of difficult. And uh, he's like, really? And we had this long conversation, and it was a whole Bible study on uh, Matthew chapter 7, and maybe some of that I'll share with you tonight. I kind of had a hard time deciding what I wanted to talk to you about tonight, honestly, because I don't know you very well. And uh, so I want to ask you a few questions. Is that fair? So you, and at the end, you'll be able to ask me some questions. So I'll give you a chance to ask me some questions, but I'm going to ask you some questions tonight. How many of you are go to this church? I mean, let's just start there. Y'all go to this church. OK. Uh, how many of you have a like a response, you know, like nominating committee comes around and they nominate your name and you have some sort of job you do. At the, you know what I'm saying? Like a job, like you teach Sabbath school or you're doing, you know, you got some sort of responsibility. Let's just see your hand raised there. So not everybody raised your hands. Okay, so now it's a few less, and uh, but but that's okay. That's all right. So then let me ask you another one. There's a you don't have to have a job in the church, but how many of you uh, give a Bible study? Just just a Bible study. You have a, any Bible study givers here? Okay, so we got to... oh the hands went even lower. I just want to let you know you weren't watching, but the hands weren't, went a few less. Okay, so let me let me uh, let me just let me just uh, gonna. Pick a little sermon for you, a little, a little thought here for you tonight. I want you to flip with me now, to Judges. Now I like to fly, uh, and we're going to talk about some flying stories here. But in uh, in Judges, and let me see. And now i I'm to I'm gonna get myself in trouble because I thought I had that. Uh, to get there. See. And it's not in judge. it's in Samuel's, Samuel, sorry. And. It's the story of Jonathan. And it's Samuel, First Samuel chapter 14. Sorry, getting my stories mixed up here tonight. First uh, Samuel chapter 14. And you have this story of Saul is going against the Philistines. And I want to just capitalize on verse 2. Would somebody read verse 2 for me? Okay, so this is a little story. It's just one verse out of this story, but you have, this is the start to what uh, Jonathan did. But here Saul is, he's in Migron, and he's doing something under a pomegranate tree. What is he doing? Yeah, he's tearing, he's sitting down with about 600 guys sitting under a pomegranate tree. Now, I'm a flight instructor. So I tell people I can teach you to fly in less than two minutes done it easy no problem flying is very easy yeah listen I'll give you a little do a little instruction real free instruction right now you pull back you go up you push down you go down you turn left you go left you turn right you go right pretty simple you think you got that figured out yeah it's easy flying is easy now landing is a whole nother story right so as I'm teaching these guys, now, now and, and flying is really easy when it's nice weather out, but when it's bad weather and you can't see, it gets a whole lot more exciting. And uh, so when you're flying in the clouds, it takes a lot more training. And my students, you got to look inside, and you're flying the airplane, and you got to talk on the radios. And normally, my students, when they're coming into a busy airport, now let me tell you, a busy airport is Atlanta. Did you know that Atlanta, there's a 1,000 flights a day that land in Atlanta now to kind of give you an idea what a thousand flights a day looks like that means a plane is landing every two minutes in Atlanta that's pretty that's a lot of air traffic now these guys aren't cruising around at bicycle speeds they're whipping around at 120 130 140 250 450 mile an hour and they got to get all these guys to sink and land on that same piece of dirt well not dirt cement In a kind of a timely manner. So there's a lot of talking going on. And then if there's bad weather, it gets even more exciting. So now, imagine, so flying along where you're by yourself, way out in the middle, it's really boring, nice and boring. But when you come to land, it gets real exciting. And my students, normally, as you're cruising along, they're all happy-go-lucky, and they're getting ready to land in a busy airport, and I tell them a phrase that I never want you to forget. I tell them, if you're just sitting there get worried. What was that phrase again? If you're just sitting there, get worried. That's what I tell them. Because, listen, they're just cruising along and happy-go-lucky and they're just sitting there and they're not preparing for landing. They need to be having their approach plates out. They need to be understanding what the controller is going to get them. They have to have the frequency tuned. they got a whole bunch of work. If they do it ahead of time, they'll make it. If they don't, if they're just sitting there... They need to be worried. They'll never make it. They'll, that that controller is going to spew out a, a list of words to them and give them all these instructions. And I watch their just brain shrink to the size of a pea and roll out their nose. And they enter into panic and they just can't do it. I said, no, you've got to be doing that a long time before you land. So if you're just sitting there, get worried. There they are. Saul is sitting under the pomegranate tree with 600 guys christianity is not a spectator sport it's not about just sitting here here i am it's uh it's a sunday morning and we're having our prayer we're having a group meeting just a, this is about a year ago we're having a group meeting and uh one of the the sisters brings up a prayer request. She says, pray for one of our uh, church brothers. He just got bit by a Tommy Gough. Now, that's a real venomous snake in Belize. These snakes are pretty pretty venomous. They kill people and whatnot. So uh, I had, uh, some of you may have known a a missionary by the name of Gary Roberts. He was flying in Guyana. He's in Indonesia now. And he said, Jeff, if you ever have a, uh, A snake bite, the thing you need to do is shock treatment. Shock treatment, it's real simple, and he gave me all this instruction on how to do it. And I've done it a couple times, and uh, it works quite well. You just take a small engine spark plug, coil the line, and you shock the person. Now, I always did it as a kid to my neighbors for a joke, like, hey, hold this spark plug while I pull the cord. And it, just to check and see if it has spark, you know, and you watch the guy jump around and shake his hand. Yep, yep, it's got spark. <laughs> yeah, good thing. Thanks. thanks for helping me out with that, you know. So it kind of gives you a bit of a poke. Well, supposedly this, this, uh, this treatment, you shock along the leg and, or the area where it's bitten, and it neutralizes it. The, they say that the venom has a, uh, a charge to it. And anyway, I'm not a medical guy. I'm just a mechanic. I've got to be honest with you. So, but I can, I can run a, I know how to do the spark plug thing. And so here I am, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit... Says, Jeff, you know, you need to go do something about that. Now I think to myself, but I'm not a medical guy. And uh, oh man, they said, well, we really, and, and as the prayer request, she keeps telling me about this prayer request. Oh yeah, he was really, he barely made it through the night. They're not sure if he's going to, they gave him the antivenom, but he's hemorrhaging, you know, so he's bleeding out all his gums and the corner. And that's what snake bites do. It's kind of not so nice. He's got a lot of pain. I thought, but I don't have a I don't have like a shock treatment thing. I mean, I know that, you know, for when you're in the bush, you just use a chainsaw or whatever you're working with and you do it. But not in a hospital, you know, you need like the, the tool. But I ain't got the tool. And all I was like, I think about was my own advice. You know, if you're just sitting there, get worried. And I thought, well, you know, Lord, I guess uh, I better do something. So I I said, Vilma, get in the truck. We're going to go to the hospital. So I grab and while she gets stuff ready, I get my pair of jumper cables I get a piece of metal stud that I got in the shop. I grab the chainsaw, pull the chain and bar off of it, pull the spark plug out and get me an extra pair of wires. And I put it all in a bag and I get and put it in, the, in the car. And then I get in the car and I drive to the town and I go and run into the emergency room. And there I see the doctor in charge where this guy is laying. And I begin to explain to him about uh, shock treatment. Yeah, I said. Well, you know, uh, he's like, well, you know, our standard procedure, and I, of course, I know, I know nothing about standard procedure. I, I, I'm just a mechanic. So, but I just had offer it offered up a word of prayer. I said, Lord, if you can use this uh, to be a blessing, just uh, open the way. So I began to explain to him, and I said, well, when we when we do our when we in in, in Bolivia and Guyana, when we do our uh, medevacs, snake bites is one of the common ones we medivac people to. And we do start a part of the standard procedure, yeah, the antivenom, but we always shock it even before we take them to the hospital just because it's just it doesn't hurt anything, it can only help. And that old doctor, he said, wow, well, and I handed him a paper, a study on the thing, and I don't even know if I had the study yet. I think maybe I gave it to him later. Anyway, he said, well, yeah, you can come on in. I said, now, here's the only problem. I don't have the little neat nifty machine that looks black and has little lines on it. and looks. N- I only got the Bush medicine version. He looked at me and said, "What's that?" Well, I said, "It's just a chainsaw." <laughs> yeah. He kind of wavered a little bit. I said, oh, "Don't worry. I got it in the bag, and we—you we'll, we, won't even tell it's there." So I—he said, "All right. Well, bring it in." And I—I I run out to the car and I get out my bag, and there is a there's a security guard there, and it's a big, big old black lady. And I thought, "Oh no." hope she doesn't inspect my bag. She's going to ask me all kinds of, why are you bringing this into the hospital, you know? And I thought, oh Lord, you know, help me to get by. And I, I have it in my bag. And I walked as nonchalantly as I possibly could right past the guard. And I, she didn't ask me any questions. Whew. So I get in there and set up my, uh, my system. It's just a Jumper cable, so I can go from my chainsaw to my metal bar on the bottom side of this guy's leg, and then I take out my wire that goes from the spark plug lead, and I take it out and put it on top of, and I start. I got one knee on the chainsaw, and I'm pulling the cord with one hand, and I got my wire on the other, and I I don't have a spark plug in it, but I just, you know, you know how the chainsaw is down when you, you know. Here we are, and we're shocking him, and oh, you should have seen that guy. He's like, wow, oh, that feels, that feels good, man keep going, keep going, he tells me, keep shocking, and so here I am, and the doctor's in there looking at what I'm doing, the nurses are gathered around, he's like, wow, and I shocked, and I uh, I probably shocked him for, I don't know, 60 or 70 times in there, just shocking him away, and, uh, you know, we had a prayer afterwards, and man, that guy said after we had the prayer, he's like, man, you'd never, the pain, it's so much better, I can't believe it. And uh, they let him out of the hospital a couple of days later. What the problem is, is if you survive the hemorrhaging, the next big word that comes in, and I don't even really know if I'm going to say it right, it's called necrosis. I probably am saying it wrong, but the leg goes black. That venom, it starts eating all the, the tissue. And a lot of times, they just have to cut the leg off. And that's really the big part of what the shocking helps. And his leg never went black. And uh, it took a, it's a nasty snake. It took him a, still took him about a month to really get the full use of his leg back. And uh, the Lord blessed that effort. And there's a lot more stories like that. But what I, and I wish I could tell you a whole bunch, bunch and bunches and bunches and bunches and bunches of stories uh, where God uses simple things. What, what happens, though, typically, uh, we like to kind of put out all these excuses, you know, like, I, I don't know how to do this. Or I'm really, I've never been up front and I'm not really a public speaker and, and, and I, you know. But let me tell you, God can use each one of our gifts. And I, I, wanna, I really want to encourage us uh, to be about mission work. By the way, did you know that uh, the Desire of Ages, Sister White has a beautiful quote. She says, "And I, I." so first of all, the first quote I want you to remember, if you're just sitting there, what? Get worried. Get worried. Okay, let me just try that one more time. If you're just sitting there, what? Get worried. Get worried. Yeah, get worried. Okay, that's good. So now the next one is, is every child, every Christian, are we all Christians here? We're followers of Christ? Okay. So every Christian is born into the kingdom of God as a what? Do you know that? Have you ever heard that one? Missionary. As a missionary, that's right. Every Christian is born into the kingdom of God as a missionary. Okay, so if for those of you who thought that mission work was something that happens somewhere else, you're wrong. Mission work happens everywhere. Okay. So every child, this is the next quote I want you to remember. Every child is born into the kingdom of God as a what? Missionary. Missionary. Good. Okay. So that means all of us here are missionaries. And how can we be missionaries? I want, I want us to flip now to John chapter 13. So what happens is if I can't decide what I'm going to talk about, I'll just talk about everything. How about that? John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 34. And uh, Jesus gives them a piece of advice, not just a piece of advice, but he says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you what? Love one another. Now... Why did he say that? I mean, is this new? Love one another. Is that new? No, that's not new. So uh, if you keep reading, though, it's going to say something. It says, uh, a new commandment I give it unto you, that you love one another as what? I have loved you. Now, what was the old commandment? eye Eye for an eye? Okay. How about uh, the law and, the, he, they, the, law and the, the prophets hang on these two commandments. What are they? Ah, so you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new one. I, the first one's still the same, but I'm going to change the second one. I want you to love as I have loved you. Do you think the bar is raised a little bit? You see, before, you know, I, I didn't realize how selfish we really are, I, how, how selfish I really was till I went as a missionary, and then and when, you, when you read this, he says, now we need to love as Jesus loved. We need to love as Jesus loved. A couple years back, I was selling an airplane. I had a twin airplane that was a seven-seater, uh, and, and, and this is, a boy, I could tell you airplane stories, lots of them, but... Uh, We'll just make it real short. I, I, uh, I've wrecked one at night. I had engine, I had lost oil pressure, had a crash, and a single engine. And I decided I needed to get a, a two-engine one. I went shopping for one. I only had $2,000. And the Lord did a bunch of miracles. And I bought a $124,000 airplane with only $2,000. Now, I did, actually, he worked out the rest. Okay. And then I was in Bolivia for another five years after that. We moved in an airplane. We moved uh, in an airplane to Belize. And after being in Bolivia for eight years, uh, we, how many you guys accumulate stuff? Do you guys accumulate stuff? Even missionaries, all, we're all missionaries, but it's easy to accumulate a lot of stuff. I accumulated stuff, and here we are. Now we're going to about have a real big shedding of the stuff because we get to pack 100 pounds, and we leave the backhoe and the airplanes and the motorcycle and the car and the Vitamix and the Champion Juice, you know, all this other all stuff, because it's just hard to, you know, a Champion Juice a 100 pounds. Boy, that's half the stuff right there. Those things are heavy. That was hard. Whoo, the champions it. That's my banana smoothie ice cream. The Vitamix. Well, guess it just had to stay. It's hard. It gets a long way to get it from the U.S. down there now take it back. No, that's not going to happen. And so, and that, but those were that, the 100 pounds, OK, but I still had my twin. And then when I started the school in Bolivia, we started out with nothing. Uh, and I was praying that God would give us a resort, and he ended up just giving me an old piece of cane farm. Uh, it was just a bunch of bush on it, and we started back with machetes and hoes and all these things, and, and then I had to sell my airplane oh, that was painful. I sold that. I mean, God gave that to me. How, would I, how am I going to sell it? And so I sold it. I made it. I, I actually sold it for more money than what I paid for it. And I thought, man, I can't, can't pass that up. And and so I sold it. I thought I'd never fly again. Well, anyway, another bunch of stories. And God gave me another twin. And uh, But it didn't go far enough. And I said, yeah, it's just too much. I'm going I'm to just sell that. And so I, I had sold it. And the guy took it up to Pennsylvania to do a mechanics inspection. And the mechanic there Sold the guy who had bought my airplane, one of his airplanes. And so now my plane stuck up and pens. I should have made him make a big deposit, but he didn't. So now I gotta go get my airplane. The mechanic charged me a whole bunch of money. And uh and I'm and I go to pick it up on a Monday and it had snowed. Now I and some of you know I'm from Michigan, but I avoid it in winter. I don't my, my blood is thinned out. This is freezing cold here. It's enough cold for me to last good. This is I don't need any colder. And here I am, I landed there, and there's snow on the wings. So now I've got to clean off the wings. And I finally get, you know, my fingers are numb, and I finally get all the snow off the wings. And I finally, finally get it to kind of start to crank over, and, and then I, I figured out that, well, I had this other problem, and I, I fixed this one little problem, and I finally get, finally get it to have a, because the batteries were dead, and, you know, all these things go on, you know, on and on. And then finally I get it to start, I think I'm going to get out of here, and then the tachometer cable broke and I was like oh no now I'm stuck here overnight and so I got stuck there but you know I met with a Mennonite guy that was there at another hangar and he took me out to dinner with another uh, air force pilot and we sat and remember about missionaries when does mission work happen all the time and so I had a two-hour conversation with some complete strangers at a restaurant that night and I slept in the Mennonite's house and we talked till about 12 30 at night and then the next morning, he gets up to drive eggs at 4 in the morning, so he drops me back off the airport at 4 in the morning, where I wait till it opens for the mechanic to show up, who finally showed up at 10 o'clock. And there I am, I'm waiting for the mechanic. Now this mechanic, i got to tell you, just robbed me blind. I really was kind of frustrated that he charged me so much to do nothing on my airplane, and, and, but I knew something about this mechanic that he didn't know that I knew. I read about him. And this mechanic... Had a little problem his dad signed logbooks falsely and went to prison and uh, so i knew he kind of had kind of a sketch a little bit of story and i didn't know the rest of the story i was about to find it out and when i was there we began talking we began talking we began talking and to find out, his dad tried to blame him and send him to prison for the problem. That airport used to be his grandpa's. He sold it out from underneath him. He lost everything. And his dad claimed to be a Christian. And I never met him. This guy was bitter, very bitter about that whole thing. Of course, rightly so. I mean, could you imagine your dad trying to send you to jail for something that you've done? Anyway, and so we began to talk. And uh, I began to tell him what I, what I do. And he's like, wow, you you so you're a volunteer missionary and you help people. I said, yeah, that's right. I help people. And you don't charge them anything. No, I don't charge them anything. And he says, Don't people take advantage of you? I said, all the time. And I told him one little story. I said, listen, I had a guy who worked for me, story to story to story. Here we go, another story. I'll get back to the other story, don't worry. So I had a guy work for me, his name was Sergio, he's a carpenter. Now, this, I'm, I'm breaking all the rules they taught me in theology. I took theology, and they tell you not to do all this stuff, and I'm just doing because, you know, me and school, we just don't get along too well. So anyway, I had this carpenter named Sergio, and uh, he was working for me. He was a drunk. We met him on the street, and I said, hey, man, we'll help you clean up, so you come work for me, but you can't drink and work for me. Okay, okay. So he starts working, and he quits drinking. He actually ends up getting baptized, and, and we're working with him, and he's doing okay. And then one day, he kind of decides that he wants to return to drinking again. And, uh, you know, we've helped him a lot. I, I, uh, I said, but Sergio, you can't, you got to choose. You can't work for me and drink. You can drink. I'm not going to force you not to drink, but you can't work here and drink. I mean, that's fair, right? And so I had helped Sergio a lot. I, I had actually, we had actually given him some money. I, I didn't. Some, some uh, mutual friends that, that wanted to help him. They gave him a money like $2,000 for a knee surgery, knee replacement surgery. Now, um, when, when I let him go, I, I had to let him go because he decided he would like to continue to drink. He took me to the Department of Labor to sue me. Sergio did, yeah. He took me to the Department of Labor to sue me for severance pay and all the other things that he thought I owed him. So I sat down with the, the, the I don't know, the manager of the Department of Labor there and I said, so how much do I owe Sergio? Uh, she said, it looks like you owe him about 250 bucks. I said, okay. Well, actually, it was a little less than that. It was probably $200. I said, Sergio, here's $300. Here's $300. You can never say that I treated you badly. Now, you, a person would say, well, why would you do that? But the reality is, is Christ treats us better than we deserve. Do you know that? Christ always treats us better than yours. When I say that I'm a Christian, when I say that I'm a missionary, I represent who? Christ. And I told that story to this guy and because he's telling me a story about a girl that he was trying to help, his wife is doing some cheerleading and they've got, they're helping these, uh, these kids that live in the projects and don't have any money and their parents are drug addicts and, and they have them over to the house and he took one of these girls shopping and he offered her to buy a pair of jeans and she said, uh, he said, well, pick out a pair of jeans and I'll buy it for you. And so she picks out a pair of jeans and she asked him, can I have two? Can I have two? And he was offended. And I said, Joel, it's a teenager. They deserve it. They think they deserve it. It doesn't matter who they are. That's human nature. We all do the same thing. God gives us one and we ask for two. Don't we do that? I do it all the time. And he just looked at me and tears began to roll down his cheeks. This guy's face tattooed up, standing in the middle of the hangar. He says, I've never met anybody like that. I said, Joel, really, you have to understand when we know who Christ is and what he's done for us, the Bible says that we should love as he loved. Christ loved us and treats us so much better than we deserve, but sometimes we harbor in our hearts bitterness and I'm am- am- not, uh, uh, the word is, uh, animosity towards people because they've done us wrong or they've slighted us or they've taken advantage of us. But I said when we get taken advantage of, praise the Lord. That means we have something to give. The interesting thing is at the end of this verse it says, by this shall men know that ye are my disciples. that you eat veggie meat, (laughs) keep the Sabbath, go as a missionary overseas. They know that then you're the true, you're the remnant. Well, what does it say? That you love one another. Do you know I have to get on my knees every day and I pray, God, give me love for people. I had a student, his name was Disciple. Hey, his parents took it literally. Go make disciples, and they thought, "Well, <laughs> disciples is name. We've done our duty." <laughs> so we get disciple. I get all kinds of. I get all kinds of students there at Move. You'd be amazed. There's disciples from the U.S. I had. So we. So we gotta be. You gotta be 18 years or older to go to Move, and you got to. Uh, I wish I could tell them you have to learn to read and write English language, but that's not the case. They can speak Spanish or English, and they don't even have to know to read or write. I have a very broad spectrum of students. I have people who have graduated college. I have people who have graduated medical school. I have people who have come from dental school. I have people who don't know how to read and write, and then I have disciple. I mean, I've had had young men come from the states. They live in apartments, right? So I don't, I don't. It's a four-bedroom, four-bathroom apartment. They got to cook together. We don't have a cafeteria. They got to make their own menu. You got guys from Mexico. You got guys from the U.S. You got Venezuelans, Colombians, Argentinians. I don't know if I've had, I haven't had a Cuban yet. I was trying to get a Cuban, but I haven't had one there. Uh, We've got people from Spain and Australia and all over the place, and Americans. And I had some American boys there. And you know, he started, this American kid, he started to smell a little bit. The roommates were kind of giving a little bit of trouble. Man, that guy. He smells a little ripe after a few weeks. And they finally discovered, I said, are you washing your clothes? And he said, yeah, I'm washing my clothes. Uh, And then he discovered the essential ingredient to the use of a washing machine. And I hope you all, if you didn't know this, know it now you have to put soap soap yeah you can put them in but you got to add soap so that's the most important thing if you understand how to use water you put the clothes in hit the button but don't forget to add soap two weeks without soap clothes get a little ripe so we get all kinds and then there's disciple disciple he he uh he shows up and disciple wasn't an an ex-con he was a he was just got out i think he's just a year out of prison Came recommended by some friends and and uh, and disciple. Wow, what a what a guy! And uh, you know, a person wants to say, "Well, really, am I am I wasting my time with disciple?" No, you know, I had to ask the Lord, "Give me a love for people." Does God love disciple? Sure, He does. Does He have a plan for disciple? Absolutely. He's got a plan for each one. And, and it was amazing to see disciples life transformed and mine too. That was just this last class. Uh, you know, it, it, it's sometimes we want to love the people we want to love. Now, how does missionary work look like? Now, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. You guys do dinner with the doctor. I wish I could do dinner with the doctor, but I wouldn't know what to say. I just have to eat. So uh, but I do mechanics. I'm a mechanic. And in fact, I didn't ever really like mechanics when I grew up. My dad was a mechanic. I wanted to be anything but a mechanic, but that's how I, that was the only way I knew how to get through school. I'd fix, wrecks, cars and do different things. And I, uh, I got through Southern. Um, I, I made a deal with God, another deal. I told him I'd go to Southern, but I wanted to come out debt-free and I came out debt-free and God blessed me fixing cars. And, uh, when I got to Bolivia, I realized that was where I told them that I told Joe I was a nice guy Till I got there. I would have been a great missionary if it wasn't for the people, you know, and for the cars. The, all the junk. Oh, terrible junk. And the people who could break it so fast. Man, I'm like, don't you know, check the oil, man. No oil, no car, no go. Don't do it. It'll break. I mean, they drive the oil lights on and they drive the car. They drive it for weeks. That's why I decided I needed to have move. I was like, man, I got to teach these guys some things, you know? They get no oil, the thing will burn up. I remember one week I was so angry. I was angry. I had I, when I started in Bolivia, I had nothing, had no no uh, no tools, no nothing, just machetes and hoes. And and God bless, we bought this big truck, and then I bought a, a a Land Cruiser, and then I bought a backhoe, and I had a couple of motorcycles, and I had a. All these, they started to have pieces of equipment, and then all of a sudden, you know, God would make stuff break. I don't know if it was God. I think so, because I was in school. So I wasn't, I, they asked me to be the director, and I thought that would be kind of tough, you know, dealing with all the punks. I mean, that, was, I, that was part easy. I wrote that book, but I didn't have any manuals for the cars I'm working on. There's no tools, and there are no parts, and they don't, they don't. If they don't have the part, they just adapt some other part off of some other thing and we only have Frankensteins in Bolivia. That's all there is. There's no original anything. It's just a big cobble of everything. Oh. So one day I remember I was so angry. You know, for some reason, the mechanics just frustrates me. Oh, it just makes my blood pressure rise and, and, uh, you know, my blood start to boil. And here I am, I'm walking out the the, the road and, Frustrated because nothing drove I had to walk to town because everything was broke Then I'm like God I came to be a missionary not a mechanic. I Don't like it. Why can't you send me a volunteer? That's a mechanic Never did No, never did I wrenched on that stuff and wrenched on that stuff and wrenched on that stuff And, you know, uh, the Lord really blessed all that work because eventually I began to develop a small piece of patience that extended. I thought it couldn't get any worse than mechanics, then I started doing paperwork. That was worse. And I thought I couldn't get any worse than paperwork, and then I realized that teaching mechanics was worse. Teaching, woo. The whole patient's like I keep I keep maybe I'm slowly graduating, you know, moving up the scale. I remember this was a couple weeks ago. Here I am and doing a mechanics clinic. So I don't know how to do dinner for the doctor, I don't know how to do health expos, but I I know how to fix machines. So we'll go into a village and we'll fix broken junk for four days. I take my students there and they dig out the dumpster. They bring every kind of piece of junk you can imagine. I had the first machine I had was a chainsaw, it was all in parts. The guy said, I don't know what's wrong with it. The mechanic says, the lower bearings out of it. And I look at that thing, I was like, the lower bearing ain't out of it. It's your spark plug coil that fell off and got mangled in your flywheel. Leave it, let me see if we can fix it. My mechanic student said, it's impossible, can't fix that. Well, I worked on that off about four days. And uh, we started working on trying to repair that. You know what, I, somehow I had an affinity to that machine. I, it just reminded me of myself, you know, just in a bag. And uh, there ain't no hope for that. And that's when they sent me off in the mission field, you know. Lord said, "Well, the only way we're going to fix that one is to kind of rattle them around a little bit and see if we can do something." So uh, we start working on them. At the, the chairman of the village. I mean, I got twenty and thirty guys. It's a sport. They like to watch me fix junk. And I got all my students around, and, we're, and and he's the chairman's watching me, and I I I'm fixing a weed eater, and so I'm trying to fix the. You gotta, you kind of. There's so many things broke on the thing, you don't know where to start. So you get first of all, just take the whole thing apart. You know that's how I think God thinks about it. There's so many bro- things broke on this mission. I don't know. I guess we'll just have to just take the whole thing apart to start with. And so anyway, I take it apart and fix one thing, and then it, the next thing doesn't work, and I take it apart again. I probably take the thing apart and put it back together about six times, and finally it runs and. They, and that old that old chairman, he said, "I don't know how you do it. You're so patient." <laughs> I want to turn around and say, "I don't know who you're talking about. You don't know me." But you know, God is so amazing; He has a way to work. And 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 people, when I get done and I fix their junk, you know, they ask me, "Well, well, how much do I owe you?" You know what I get to tell them? I get to tell them, you know what? Amazingly enough, God paid me to fix your junk today because he loves you. Isn't that awesome? I mean, God pays me to work on your stuff. Why? Because he cares about you. He has a plan for you. And when I go into a village that has seven different denominations, I'm fixing stuff for the Catholics, I'm fixing the Baptist church door, I'm fixing the sound system for the Pentecostals. You know, it's amazing. And then and all of a sudden I fixed the, the pastor's four-wheeler that has a cut-off foot and he can't dr- walk very well. And so somebody got him a four-wheeler that broke and I fixed it in 10 minutes and he thinks it's a miracle. And I kind of feel a little bit how Christ felt when there's healings all over the place and now people are running around with their chainsaws and lights. We're doing installing solar panels. And, and all of a sudden I'm preaching in the Baptist church. I'm teaching in the Catholic school. I'm sharing people about Christ and his love for them. That's missionary work, friends. It can happen with any kind of skill that you have. Mechanics is just the skill I happen to kind of halfway possess. I really, it's only, you don't understand the true miracle that the stuff works. I just pray. You know, I, have a, I offer a lot of prayer. Lord, help me fix junk this week so I can preach the gospel. And, uh, you know, after I fixed that chainsaw, I, I did fix that chainsaw Friday, the last day there of noon uh, this was only a couple weeks ago, I couldn't believe it. That old chainsaw hit, fired over my mechanics just sat there and gawked and they couldn't believe it. that old basket case actually ran. And Saturday night I go and have a two-hour visit with that man who's a Catholic and I get to share the beauty of the gospel with him. Friends, it's not complicated. We all can do something I mean, I, I want, I, these, these stories are amazing stories, and I, I wish I could tell you all the, I mean, I, I could keep you here all night talking about financial miracles, about projects and dreams and all these things, but these stories are my stories. What's your story? You don't have to go to Belize. You don't have to go to Bolivia. There's plenty of stories right here in Chattanooga. How many of you are giving a Bible study? You know, I had my brother ask me once, you mean you'd expect me to work all day and then give a Bible study at night? I said, absolutely. Sure. We can work all day and then give a Bible study at night. That's what missionaries do. We got to live. I do do normal stuff. I do all the same stuff everybody else does. I just happen to do a lot of it and change things fairly frequently just because that's what my job looks like. But it's normal stuff. And then at night, on top of it, I get on my motorcycle and drive to town and give a Bible study or go preach a sermon or, or share. It's just how it works. And sometimes it's in the middle of the day in a hangar in Pennsylvania. I stayed there four hours talking with Joel. I pray that seeds were planted. I finally I got out of there late and I fairly made it back home. I didn't get home until 1 o'clock in the morning picking up that airplane. But... Jesus, the, the Ellen White says, every child is born into the kingdom of God, every Christian, sorry, every Christian is born into the kingdom of God as a missionary. missionary. So y'all are missionary. good. Okay. So now if you're just, okay, wait a minute, we're going to repeat that. Just two ideas. I know it's a lot, but we're going to go back to just two of them. So We're going to start with the first one, and then we're going to do the second one next. So every child, a Christian, so let's start that again. I'm going to, I'm messing up my own saying. So every Christian is born into the kingdom of God as a missionary. we're going to say it together. Ready? Every Christian is born into the kingdom of God as a missionary. Good, okay. So now the next one, you guys are getting your first class on flight training, is if you're just sitting there, get worried. So that means if you just come to church and sat there... Get worried. You know, the busy time is when we're landing. Remember, when we're getting into our final destination, we're not supposed to relax. We're supposed to get busy. And if you're just sitting there, get worried. Friends, we are on our final approach, and this serves history. And if you're just sitting there, you need to be getting worried. God has given each one of us a work to do. It's not about I don't know how to preach. It's not about I don't know how to teach. It's not about what what do you know how to do? And do it. If you're just sitting there get worried. God has given each one of us talents and skills. You need to have a story. What is your story? What are we doing for the gospel of Christ? Who are we connecting with? You know, I asked, I'm asked. I here at Southern. I'm staying in the dorm. I'm going to tell another story because I'm a story guy. But God opened up an the possibility of staying in an apartment there at Southern. And here I'm praying, God, how could I reach out to these students at Southern? And so I decided I'm going to go down and visit at the dorm. And my wife goes to the girls' dorm, and I go to the guys' dorm. We're just going to visit and pray with students. I'm there. I can't just sit here. I got a job to do. I'm a missionary. So there we go. And then they invite me to speak for the worship services in the evening. And so I'm sharing Christ there at the worship services. The the, the thing is, is each moment we have opportunities. What are we doing with those things? I hope it's not Facebook. I hope it's not YouTube. That doesn't count. That's sitting there. We need to look for opportunities to share, do you know, and I asked, I asked the students there, I said, how many of you know the person who lives across the hall? Just across, I mean, you know, it's pretty simple. We live, live on, a, on a dorm room hall, and just the person, not your sweet mate, they got sweet mates, but the person across the hall, do you know how many people are saying? Three. There was probably about 40 there, 30. Just three knew the people. I said, do you know that that's an opportunity to share Christ? You have an opportunity. How many of you know your neighbor? How many of you know your coworkers? How many of you know people that don't go to this church? It's an opportunity. It's simple. How many of you know how to cook? Invite them over. Befriend a college student. There's so many ways. But if you're just sitting there, get worried. Pray that God will give you a love for souls. A love for people, that's a true sign of being a disciple. If you have love one for another, and he's saying, love as I loved. How did Jesus love? He left everything for us. And how can we just sit there? We're on final approach. May God help us to get busy fulfilling the dream that he has for us, fulfilling that call and being missionaries. May the Lord bless you.